Polly, Emily, what are you here to talk about? Hamilton, the musical. Hamilton, the musical. My theater friend Polly has joined me very kindly, taking time out of her busy schedule, acting. Um, <laughs> Listeners, to... I I wish. Can I <laughs> link I your reel <laughs> in this description? Um, what Emily's referring to is that I am not an actor, but I have decided in the new year to become <laughs> an Emily's actor. What referring to air lies. <laughs> And I have decided that I'm going to pursue my acting career by creating a reel for film. (laughs) (laughs) And so I have proceeded to audition for some extra roles in film. Um, Which is very exciting. But in between auditions, she has taken the time to (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So my theater friend who has joined me to talk about Hamilton, an American musical. So this is the only only piece of theater we have done done on this podcast which is very exciting and it is also one that I think is more directly associated with the material because I think most famously people know that it's based on a biography in particular yes so I feel like that also puts it in a certain context I think people think of this play or think of the musical almost in conjunction with this biography now so yeah yeah um going through his work This also feels like kind of like a critique of his work. But anyway, I'm going to go into this later. You can see that a lot of the decisions are based on his biography. And then later on, stay tuned because we're also going to talk about another American musical, 1776, which we watched together, which was very fun. We did. We watched the director's cut, too. We did. So we've seen all the content. It was, yeah. Raunchy. Just kidding. It wasn't. <laughs> it was. We just made it raunchy. We yeah. decided to make it raunchy. I don't think it actually was raunchy in any way. I don't think. It, I don't know if it was any different than the original. Okay, but shall we kick things off? Yeah. Is it history? Is it fiction? Is it somewhere in between? What's the real story behind the musical you think you know? This is Real Fiction. Have you seen Hamilton? I have. I okay. have. What? When did you see it? What did you think of it? I saw it, um, I think it was last year. Last. It was in the winter, and um, my brother's friend... Uh, I believe had won the lottery and had, but had like won like multiple tickets. I don't, oh. I, is, if a ticket is a thing, um, yeah. and had extra tickets and which That's was amazing. so nice. And okay, but then you didn't ask about how I got to see it. You asked about what about no, it. No, that's is, cool. I yeah, no, I don't know a lot of people who have seen it via lottery. Like yeah, well, and I and I didn't even have to win the lottery to see it. I won the lottery yeah. by having. <laughs> A good friend of a friend of a brother, so which really just um, makes you even luckier. Which than really are friends the true the true <laughs> treasure. Um, anyways, I loved it. I I had already been a huge fan of the musical. I had listened mm-hmm. to the soundtrack mm-hmm. countless times, and mm-hmm. when the opening number started, I had goosebumps, and I yes. I just thought. I mean, I really thought it was so wonderful, and it wasn't the original cast at that point, of course, but mm-hmm. it was. Um, it it is, was really it wonderful. Was so, yeah, I, I so loved so it. Good. Um, both of us were lucky enough to see it. A lot of people have listened to the music, even if they haven't gotten to see the show. Um, 
but obviously there's a lot of debate around it in terms of a lot of choices that they make. Mm -hmm. um, so just to kick things off, I'm going to start really general here and give a little bit of background. Um, so for those who don't know, the musical was famously inspired by Ron Chernow's biography of Hamilton. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda read it while on vacation, and then he actually approached Chernow to be the consultant for the show. He's reportedly told him that he wanted, quote, historians to take this seriously, unquote. So it's interesting. This is interesting also because it informs how a lot of things happen in the play or a lot of characterizations. So at least according to the Hamilton companion book, the Hamilton, aka, <laughs> um, Miranda would keep asking leading questions. Like uh, the example that he gives in the book was, would Washington have seen Hamilton as a younger version of himself? Which apparently Trina responded as plausible. Like, <laughs> That on its own really stuck out to me because that is that is a very leading particular question. And then you you can see how Cherno gives it historical justification of like, yeah, that's plausible. Um, yeah. Which informs a lot of how the characterizations work in this play. Mm -hmm. It feels like Miranda has certain ideas about relationships and the parallels and the characters. And then Cherno kind of gives the historical justification, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but... Mm -hmm. That shows you kind of how this play has been created and also just in general how biographical history works. So not to get too into too nerdy a side note here, <laughs> um, but that's what the show is, right? Right. Um, so one of the more common critiques of biographical history in general is this kind of thinking, especially where the founding fathers are concerned. Like, like making assumptions about their relationships to one another is a critique? Yeah. Like we just, right. we naturally want to have a narrative and it's very hard to like avoid things like that right it's a common problem it's not particular to hamilton but it's mm -hmm. certain things where it's like well would washington have seen him as a younger version of himself <laughs> yeah the same mistakes it's like <laughs> like in, okay um, well in the one where they're like you're nothing without washington behind you you yeah. know he's like daddy's calling you know there's that one <laughs> You which I love. I'm like, which yeah. you love. Which I love that yeah. stuff. That's what. Yeah, you know how I, I use it. quotes from things. Maybe I just shouldn't use like in the podcast. Maybe I just shouldn't. I'll just use you saying the quote. <laughs> because like the way I did it was was exactly how they say it. <laughs> You're nothing without Washington behind you. Hamilton. Daddy's calling. <laughs> Daddy's calling. <laughs> yeah, like that. <laughs> Very condescending. That's from Washington's on your side or something, right? Something's called something like that. Yeah, that's, that's going in your reel. In my reel? Yeah. <laughs> the main thing that changes in this play are like little timeline adjustments. So I'm not really going to go into those because those don't interest me that much. A lot of times in historical movies, TV shows, whatever, they'll just kind of conflate the timeline in a way that makes more sense or because they want the narrative to work in a certain way or whatever, they'll move things around. I don't find those changes particularly interesting because mm -hmm. it's like, clearly it's for story cohesion one way or another and whatever. Right. Ooh, but before I get into his relationships and stuff, wait, I have some fun facts that are completely unrelated to anything. So they're Tell just me. living in... Yes. Okay, so uh, one interesting thing about the set, which also borrowed from history in a little bit. I don't know if you what you remember much about the set. Um, there's a balcony and then on the ground level, there's like, um, a turn, it, like a, a dial that turns, like when they walk on it, it moves, um, some occasionally, but I would say it's pretty bare. It's a pretty bare set. It's made to look kind of like, um, a port or mm -hmm. a ship. 
Um, and that is because in this period, a lot of the carpenters in New York were actually originally shipbuilders. And they used a lot of the same techniques in the buildings around revolutionary New York. So he intentionally tried to make the scene look like it was built by these carpenters. So there's rope, scaffolding, sort of beams that look like they came from like a shipbuilding. Um, that's that's interesting. I, it did look like a ship. You're right. That's so, that's so interesting. Right? I love the set design stuff like that, where it's like, you're not really supposed to notice it, but it kind of just, yeah. you know what I mean? Wow, that's fascinating. Um, and then the other tiny set design, fun fact that I liked, there are chandeliers that come down during the um, the scene in the tavern. Those are actually based off the real ones in Francis Tavern, which is where Washington had bid well farewell to his soldiers and also where Story of Tonight takes place. So there is actually a pub downtown in the Financial District, still open. Kind of cool. That is so cool. That's really cool. Right? As theater nerds, you kind of appreciate all the little details that go into it. Yeah. Or historians. Yeah. Or historians. Or architecture students. Yeah. Let's name all the people who are directly relevant. <laughs> I, I want you to know that other people appreciate these things. These are good to share. This one's for the architects. <laughs> I'll just announce every fact. Where are all my architects at? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, going on to the relationships and like actual things. Um, so stop listening, architects. This is not for you. So Hamilton and his little quartet of friends. So mm-hmm. this is um, Hercules Mulligan, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Marquis de Lafayette, uh, John Lawrence, and, uh, and obviously ha- Alexander Hamilton. These are the like main gang of four that you see in the first act. Hamilton's not actually supposed to know everyone at this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cherno first pointed that out, and then Miranda argued with him saying... Well, I need Hamilton to have a group of friends and yeah. characters for story cohesion and whatever. And later he sort of implied that he kind of bullshitted that answer. But it makes sense. For the sake of the play, if he had had to introduce them as a friend each time he met them, then you'd have to have all these, like, meeting scenes. Yeah. I exactly. like the way yeah. he did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take that. Churnow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> History. Facts. This is just Polly versus Chernow. I'll just name facts and you can just tell me what you like and you don't. <laughs> Sorry. Is this why I'm here? <laughs> the, the biggest one I think uh, that I would want to talk about is Lawrence. There is a brief scene when John Lawrence is killed in combat. Eliza notifies Hamilton. She reads the letter. They have a piece of dialogue, so that's why it's not in the soundtrack, because it's spoken. So Lawrence and Hamilton had a very close relationship. Um, They kind of gently reference it in other parts of the songs. Like Hamilton, I think explicitly when he's just naming his friends and why he likes them, he just says, Lawrence, I like you a lot. Also in the blocking, there's a lot of touching. There's a lot of like arms around each other. They grab each other's hands a lot of the times. That seems to be a gentle nod to their relationship. And they were super close. Some people have argued that they may have been lovers. Um, really? Yes. Their letters are very flirtatious. Um, and that seems to be generally like historically accepted that his letters with Lawrence seem to be as flirtatious as his letters with women. There was a letter from Hamilton to Lawrence that seemed to jokingly suggest having a threesome with him and Eliza, which like wild a joke, but wild. also like <laughs> I don't know. There's only there's only so much we can say, right? But I think there is also we should acknowledge that. There's enough of a reason to have suspected that they may have had an interesting relationship beyond Love it. Tonic. Love it. Yeah. So I don't know what you know about Hamilton and Angelica or what you remember. I mean, I know in the musical, they have a really um, very close, very 
romantic relationship, even though it's not, even though they're not married. Renee Goldsberry and Lin-Manuel Miranda both just call it an emotional affair, Mm -hmm. is how they play it. So Hamilton and Angelica, they were definitely super flirtatious in their writings to each other. Like, that is not not based on anything. There were rumors at the time that they had had an affair. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of... Hamilton's uh, political opponents, yeah, political opponents have referred to it. They like accuse him of incest, quote unquote. In the play, do you remember how they meet and like what? Why Angelica introduces him to his her sister? They are at the Winter's Ball, and they Angelica and um, Hamilton start talking, and she's really taken aback by him and his wit. But then she has this, like, moment of panic where she, as, like, the oldest sister of, of this family, she has these responsibilities. I'm a girl in a world in which my only job is to marry rich. My father has no son, so I'm the one who has to social um, And she also is worried that he's kind of a gold digger, that he's interested in, in her money. And so she kind of just panics. She's like, this is not an appropriate marriage for me. And so she introduces him to her sister, which I think she, we we get the sense that she regrets. There are a couple of things about this interaction that were, again, going back to Miranda wants to characterize it a certain way, so he takes some liberties here. When Angelica and Hamilton actually met, she was already married, and she was married to a guy that she had eloped with. It wasn't like some stuffy person that she had settled with, Mm. seemingly. She was not, as she says in the musical, the oldest child, so there's all this burden on her. Um, Philip Schuyler actually had a bunch of sons. Oh. But Miranda has said he, quote, conveniently forgot, unquote, that Skylar had a bunch of sons. Like, why not have her be married? Like, it, it's still a good reason for a forbid. like, why they couldn't get married. I, I wonder why he decided not to go with that. With that. Route. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe it's because it feels like less of, um, less of a sacrifice for Eliza. Mm-hmm. Then it is just like, oh, well, she had a forbidden nature to the relationship. She couldn't because she was married. Mm -hmm. And then she passes it off to Eliza. Here it's very literally a sacrifice in that she could have, but she has to give it up for Eliza. So then she's actually giving up something versus just, you know, it's like a gesture that wouldn't have existed. Right. I don't know. That's my guess. I want to take him far away from this place. Then I turn and see my sister's face. And she is Also, you know that line where Burr says Martha Washington named a feral tall cat after him? Yeah. Martha Washington named a feral tall cat after him. That's true. That was based on another joke or like a rumor about kind of his ladies' man reputation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because apparently Martha Washington had this cat that was just like (laughs) a ladies' man of a cat. (laughs) I don't know. As cats are. Yeah. She had a very horny cat. What can I say? Um, and, like, the joke was in a not flattering way. It was nicknamed Hamilton. Whether mm. this is actually true is, it seems more like a rumor. Yeah. Miranda admits it a rum- it's a rumor, but Hamilton has the little line saying, um, that's true, because he felt like Hamilton would want to own it and yeah. like, be really cocky about it. Yeah. Um, 
that kind of put it into the canon. Like, I think a lot of people do assume that she has a cat named Hamilton. Now. Yeah, I, I assume. If you say it's true, yeah. if you put it into the lyrics of the song that it's true, then I assume it's true. <laughs> so, last relationship that I'm going to talk about really quick is Hamilton and Burr. It's unclear how guilty Burr really felt after the duel. Mm. He did make that line about the world being wide enough. I should have known. I should have known the world was wide enough for both Hamilton and me. It's sort of unclear because it was kind of a joke. So it's like, was he Mm. sarcastic? Was he not? It's like not really clear. Um, And he didn't have any explicit writings afterward about his feelings about the duel. Yeah. Um, but what is clear is that his career totally tanked yeah. after, um, obviously. He was completely disgraced. And it wasn't even just shooting Hamilton. I think my favorite part about what I learned about Purr was that he tried to invade Mexico. No. <laughs> yeah. Like, he had some scheme to start a new colony in the new Louisiana Territory. Yeah. And or possibly invade Mexico and at least had gotten as far as consulting the British yeah. to see if they would help him with this. Um, so he ended up on trial for treason. I mean, that, but that, that's like the thing about Aaron Burr is like, I, when I hear this, I, I feel sad. Like, and I know that he shoots our protagonist, but I think the musical does allow him to be an interesting character and then just like doesn't have the talents that you know, ha- like Hamilton does, but he does have the ambition. And, and I think that that makes him a really like, Interesting, complicated character. I mean, I think he's probably, yeah, the most interesting character in the in the musical. So I'm going to move on to two more things that I want to talk about mm-hmm. uh, before we jump on to a certain other American musical. So a big thing that I wanted to talk about was dueling <laughs> for cool. obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> and it. it was actually pretty cool that the, the, the main song in the play is the Ten Duel Commandments. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's the Ten Duel Commandments. It's generally accurate. It describes most, uh, like, the process pretty well. It it pulls from sources pretty directly. Yeah. And also, most notably, the line where it says, most most um, disputes die. Most disputes die, but no one shoots. Sorry, Thank you. <laughs> this is so good. Even if I can use the music now, I kind of don't want it. Um, <laughs> it was much more fun. Most things didn't actually end up in people shooting each other. Um, or stabbing each other, mm-hmm. because at least by the 19th century, so by the 1800s, duels were rarely fatal, and almost all of them were swordplay instead. So about dueling in general and where it comes from, um, it was not just American. It was also popular in Europe for several centuries, um, even though it was forbidden by law explicitly. <laughs> or at least the upper classes didn't enjoy this. As late as 1829, England's prime minister was challenging an earl to a duel um, over being accused of being sympathetic toward Catholics. So, like, Well, yeah. <laughs> Fair, right? Fair. You don't want to get accused of that. So pettiness is just like, has existed throughout time. <laughs> it's awesome. My favorite dueling anecdote, basically everyone, everyone should go down an internet rabbit hole of dueling because it's like really funny. Um, it's in 1808, <laughs> allegedly these two Frenchmen got into a duel and they held it in two different balloons over Paris, like hot air balloons. Yes. And then one was shot down and killed with his second, obviously, because they're in a balloon. Yes. There's another one where two others tried to duel each other by hitting each other with billiard balls. Yes. <laughs> and then, I love people. <laughs> 
Um, this is how we kept the population down. Yes. Uh, women dueled two, uh, and the most famous one was this duel in Liechtenstein, which yeah. is between a princess and a countess. It's Princess Pauline Metternich. Yes, they are. They challenge each other to a sword fighting duel, topless. What? <laughs> so it was this the only duel that featured exposed breasts. <laughs> And it was called the Emancipated Duel. And there's why is there not like countless paintings, songs, movies about this these people? That's, oh, they were paintings. Okay, tell me, did Pauline win? I think it was Pauline. Cut Anastasia on the nose. Yes. The nature of the dispute was over flower arrangements. Yes. <laughs> That's so petty. It's not a great story. That's Where's such a good story. About that? That's such a mm-hmm. good story. Yeah. So that brings us also to the U.S., where dueling or affairs of the honor, affairs of honor, peaked around the revolution. They were meant to defend your honor when the law wouldn't intervene. They were particularly popular with the South's upper class. Mm. Dueling was alarmingly common in the military. Um, One cool fact I found was that between 1798 and the Civil War, the Navy lost two-thirds as many officers to dueling as it did to combat at sea. Oh, my God. For 60 years. People are so dumb. (laughs) (laughs) So when we get to Hamilton's duel, we had two witnesses, obviously. We have the two seconds. And both of them disagreed with what happened. Hamilton's second insisted that the gun just sort of went off kind of by accident as a reaction to Hamilton getting shot. Um, Burr's second said, oh, no, Hamilton tried to shoot Burr. He just missed. Um, so we'll never know. But Miranda decided to ignore both of these and have Hamilton shoot in the air. Yeah. Um, the last big thing I want to talk about, when it comes to immigration, uh, that's a huge part of this play. Mm-hmm. Right? Immigrants, we get the job done. Like, that's the reoccurring, how does a bastard orphan immigrant... Oh, how does right? a bastard orphan son of a whore and a Scotsman okay. stopped in the middle of the... Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you can keep going. That's my okay. Um, and that's a reoccurring thing. Yes. Like, our even orphan immigrants can make a difference. In Cherno's description, he sort of paints him this way. So you can also see why that struck such a chord. Yeah. Uh, that seems to be kind yeah. of misinformed just because at this time, most of the people in the colonies, at least the white settlers, <laughs> were migrants. So Unless you're Native American, you're not from here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hang on. <laughs> There's a whole other Y'all immigrants. story. <laughs> Right, it's like you're migrants between different colonies of Imperial Britain. Right. Like, you're not a... And that whole idea of, like, an immigrant who can make something for himself doesn't come in until way later in, like, the 1800s when we're talking about, like, industrialization and nationalism and all these other things. It's a very sort of modern take. And then as far as race goes, though, so Hamilton in the play... I don't even know if I'd say he's explicitly anti-slavery. Well, he has, he says one line to Jefferson about it in a duel. In a, not duel, um, rap battle in the cabinet. Right, right. Well, he calls, I mean, he calls out, he calls out Jefferson's, like, hypocrisy. And and he, and he, and he uses it as a way to, like, win his economic argument. A civics lesson from a slaver. Hey, neighbor, your debts are paid because you don't pay for labor. We plant seeds in the South, we create we know who's really doing the planting. But he doesn't take a, a particularly um, like aggressive stance anti-slavery in, in, in the musical. Yeah. yeah. There is a line about him and Lauren's writing against slavery. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, so as far as what history says on this, obviously it's tricky. Hamilton was a founding member of the New York Manumission Society. 
which was a big voice in the anti-slavery movement at the time, and he did push for them to be more active in ending slavery. That's good. Hamilton also gave legal advice to free black Americans who white Americans would illegally claim were their slaves. Mm. It's unclear if Hamilton overowned slaves himself. Cherneau admits that he may have had one or two household slaves. Oh. And he cited some letters where Hamilton arranged slave transactions, but these may have been done on behalf of the Schuylers. Because okay. it is also believed that Hamilton purchased slaves for Angelica. So, unclear. But he's not completely separated from this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, to get the Constitution signed, Hamilton supported the Three-Fifths Clause or the Three-Fifths Compromise oh. without any sort of recorded hesitation about it or mm. ill will toward it. Just to recap, that is that congressional representation will be based on the no- whole number of free people and three-fifths of, quote, all other persons, unquote, which meaning slaves. I will say that the three-fifths compromise tends to get lumped in with people saying, you're saying that slaves are three-fifths of a person, but that's kind of not... What it's actually doing is it's just giving slave states more congressional power. Mm-hmm. Because it's not saying that a person is three-fifths of... Because they're still not voting. Right, they don't have to vote it's at all. It's just counting them as population. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not even... So... Yeah. It's not even saying... It's like saying they count right. as population, but we're still going to treat you like garbage and property. Right. This gets us to the third cabinet debate, which was cut from the musical. Oh, okay. So I was wondering... Do you know about this? Well, I listened to the mixtape, and I was like, what is this? Oh, and oh, oh. the mixtape, there's, yeah, there's, like, one that's, like, real heavy on slavery. And I was like, this is not in the musical, but it is in the style of the musical. And I wonder, like, was this just written for the mixtape? I know what you're, what you're talking about. Okay, cool. Perfect. The cabinet battle was cut, uh, in Miranda's words, because it didn't actually tell you anything new about the characters. You see them all basically get into a fight again. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens in the debate is they're debating slavery. Or Washington is debating if we should even discuss slavery, basically. Jefferson says, it is the price that we paid for the southern states to participate in independence. We had made concessions to the south. If we try to take their property, they'll secede. Uh, We can't address the question if we don't have an answer. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much, I think, his line. Hamilton says, the longer we wait, the bigger the problem is going to be. Their population will double. He calls out American hypocrisy and then again calls out Jefferson and specifically Sally Hemings again. Mm -hmm. Washington then says, I've heard enough. Slavery is too volatile. We won't get into it. And Madison says, I'm going to keep it off your desk. Mm -hmm. And Washington says, good. And then it ends. Mm -hmm. It doesn't paint Washington in like a great heroic light. Mm -hmm. Um, It does bring up Hamilton versus Jefferson and then also adds a little more nuance to Jefferson. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, you can see kind of what Miranda's saying when he said that he cut it. Right. Uh, It's just another fight. Right. Would you have rather had have this in the play? It's a, there's obviously no easy answer. Right, right. I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think, like, I I hear what he's saying. Like, it depends, like, what you want to accomplish with this musical. And I think what a big part of like what you what they wanted to accomplish, I don't actually know. I think, but I think what I took from it is that you're seeing a story about America with actors who re- like represent what America looks like now and like act or or you know just looks like. So it's not. It, it it would also be appropriate to tell stories that are not told then but are told now. So I, yeah, I mean, I guess it would. I I I probably would have liked to see a little bit more attention given to it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's complicated. That's not a good answer. I, I, yeah, it's no, complicated. No, I think it's very, like, But it does answer. help us yeah, segue into 1776 because, yes, it does, because there's a whole number dedicated to talking about slavery in 1776. 
So, like, let's get into 7076. And I remember that was our first reaction to it after we were done was like, okay, that went to a place that Hamilton does not. Yeah. For a musical that wasn't written quite recently, it yeah, yeah. I'm glad that it yeah. got into it. A quick background on why we're talking about 7076. If everyone is listening who's like, what the hell? I was listening to everyone talking about <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> I don't like this. Um, 1776. Uh, I bring it up because it is... Obviously, there are a lot of comparisons that have been drawn between the two of them. It is another historical musical, basically. Quote-unquote, American historical musical. It is also even referenced in Hamilton once. Sit down, John, you fat mother... Hamilton's out of control. That is a <laughs> reference to the first song of 1776. <laughs> There was actually another reference in another cut song. The cut song also had a dig against Abigail, and Miranda saw that the audience was always uncomfortable mm-hmm. when he got to it, and he was like, oh, we can't make fun of Abigail. Everyone, she's a national treasure. We really <laughs> love Abigail. Everyone loved Abigail. Also, wait, cool fun fact, 1776, it was first performed at the Richard Rogers Theater, mm. which is now where Hamilton is. <laughs> love it. Good. We like it. We like it. Correct. So wait, just a quick rundown. The musical focuses on John Adams and trying to get the Declaration of Independence signed and agreed upon by the Congressional Congress. Also, my favorite thing, though, is that they had a line about slavery. And this is, okay, this was, I think, the first time I had ever researched something where the movie takes out a historical fact or historical line Mm. because they don't believe the audience will believe it. (gasps) Like, it's that crazy that they're like, they'll think that we're bullshitting them. Yeah. Let's just cut it. The line was originally from Sam Adams, but they gave it to John Adams. Um, and that's because John Adams and Sam Adams actually get conflated into one big character mm-hmm. in the musical, but not a story. <laughs> Same thing. Um, Franklin was willing to drop the anti-slavery cause, clause to get the declaration signed. Um, and Sam Adams had reportedly responded, quote, if we give in on this issue, there will be trouble a hundred years hence. Posterity will never forgive us. And the line that they give to John Adams is, Mark me, Franklin. If we give in on this issue, posterity will never forgive us. They cut it because saying there will be trouble a hundred years hence is almost exactly correct. Yeah. A hundred years after this would be the Civil War. Yes. Um, and they took this out because they were like, everyone's going to think we're being... We're just, like, put giving them too much hindsight. Right, like, it's too on the nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, can we just say, like, from what I know in history, John Adams of the Founding Fathers is the best. Like, he's, like, <laughs> he's, like, consistently the most correct one. <laughs> Not, like, everything he does is correct, but, like, like he's, they kind of make him look seem, like, an obnoxious in the Hamilton musical. But I think we can, I think we can all still agree that Ham, uh, Adams is the best. Yeah. Can we all agree that he's yeah. the best person? Also, there's a really good, like, miniseries with Paul Giamatti. And if we didn't already hate Jefferson enough and love John Adams enough, like, all the more reason to watch this miniseries. Yeah, if you want to just, like, get in on your John Adams love and Jefferson hate. <laughs> if you really need, need your fix of that, watch that miniseries. <laughs> it will satisfy it. It'll get get you that button. Guess what we're watching right after this? All of them. <laughs> so good. Director's cut. <laughs> Director's cut. John Adams miniseries. But yeah, wait. So to but to go back to what you had said, there is a whole song about this in the musical. Yeah, and let me try to like remember. I think it's it's like yeah. the delegate from like South Carolina. He's from a, a southern state, 
and is this correct? And he has yes. like, and like the lights turn red, and he has this like, mm. it is like a very intense, serious song. The context is that the declaration it needs to be signed. They've all been debating over whether they should be independent or not. Um, and now they're also debating over the actual writing of it. Jefferson has his draft and there's a clause in there about freeing slaves. And then the Southern delegate says that we will refuse to do this, but if you take it out, we'll sign your declaration Mm -hmm. because they need a unanimous vote. And, uh, they get into a big moral argument mainly with the North delegates versus the Southern delegates. And then he sings this song, the Southern delegate sings a song about how the North benefits from slavery. Whose fortunes are made in the triangle trade? Hail slavery, the New England dream. Oh, that's right. Which is like also a really good point for this musical to be making because it was nice to have the playwrights calling out the hypocrisy of a lot of the Northern delegates who are acting like they don't benefit from from slavery when they do. There's one Jefferson quote that I'm going to read that pretty much gets at the heart of where the scene is coming from. He says, when he describes the the actual debate that happened over this, in his notes of proceedings of the Continental Congress, Jefferson says, quote, the clause reprobating the enslaving of the inhabitants of Africa was struck out in complacence to South Carolina and Georgia, who had never attempted to restrain the importation of slaves and who, on the contrary, still wish to continue it. Our Northern brethren also... I believe, felt a letter little tender under those censures. For though their people had very few slaves themselves, yet they had been pretty considerable carriers of them to others. Yeah. Unquote. Yeah. Mr. Adams, I give you a toast. Hail Boston. Hail Charleston. Who stinker? The difference between 1776 and history is that there were actually two debates going on and Mm. the movie puts them into one the real two debates were whether they should declare independence and then secondly what the declaration will say Mm -hmm. so this debate over the wording actually happened after the south had already agreed okay so that wasn't actually in the balance Mm. it wasn't like they weren't going to be independent unless they did this i think we were just really impressed with that not that like that it was so like it was like, it was such a progressive musical, but that at like the time that it was written, there was some acknowledgement of democracy there, and and then also dedicating a number to talk about an issue that is really important to talk about. You're using the salt, the sugar, everything that's on your table. Yeah, you've you've right, you know. right. So how dare you say that you don't? Yeah. And but, no, but we don't want to obviously be like. And that's why 1776 is is a, is a better <laughs> right now. Right. And they do make they do make Jefferson a good guy in this one, which they don't yes. in um and and I think someone ben says Franklin. like, well, don't you own a bunch of slaves? And Jefferson just sort of bows his head sadly. <laughs> and they don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, right. And there's no mention of Sally Hemings. Right, 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 yeah. We would not do that. No, 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 yeah. Uh-uh. So, yeah. cut back to Hamilton. So. Um, the intention with writing Hamilton was different from the intention of writing 1776. Yeah. Popular history is such a tough thing because right. it's it's such a line between you want it to be accurate and right. educational. You don't want it to be dishonest. Right. Like, irresponsibly right. so. But you right. also want it to be accessible right. and right. engaging. Right. Um, and you and want to make these characters you know, likable, even if they had like flaws in, in reality. But you can't have a like you can't write a whole 
like you can't have a protagonist who you really like hate fundamentally. So yeah, you know, you have to make him better than he probably really was. As far as popularizing history, I think it did a wonderful job, though. Yeah, I gotta say, like I think that really got people excited about history in a way that I think is more impactful than the ways that it may have misinterpreted certain things. I can understand, though, the argument against that. I can understand the people who might be upset by it or right. may have wished that it handled things differently. Right. Um, and I agree with some of that. But I think in general, I was, I really enjoyed the musical, but mm-hmm. also was very proud yeah. of it. I was like, oh, this is a way to get people excited about these things right. in a way that I might see in a lot of other boring, stuffy characters. Right. Like, Miranda saw that right. and made it accessible. So oh, Yeah, I, I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this. <laughs> no, well, thank you for having me. I think it's great that you're helping people see these movies and oh, plays. And oh, it's an honor to be on your podcast. <laughs> thank you for also, I basically had to introduce you as like, this is my theater nerd friend. <laughs> so I appreciate you being a good sport about that. <laughs> If you're having fun listening, please rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It really helps. You can also check out our website at realfictionpodcast.com, where we have a suggestion box if you have ideas for a future episode. And just for staying through our little plug, you get to hear what's up next. For next week's episode, the bad movie summary is... Chess nerds defeat Hitler.